0: Well, hey there, and thank you for joining us for this episode of Thirteen. This is part three of a three-part series. If you haven't listened to the first two episodes, go do that first. We'll be here when you get back. It wouldn't be possible to make Thirteen, or to make it sound so good, without the support of our patrons. So we'd like to get started by thanking our new patrons. A. Rodko, Tammy Sparveri, and Katie Frazier. Thank you so much for supporting the show. We're recording credits a little early because of the holiday, so if you joined in the last few days and didn't hear your name, we'll get you in on the January episode. To hear your name right here, join us on Patreon, where there's a whole lot more 13. All of our tiers $5 and above get access to a patron-only Discord server, where you can chat with us and other fans of the show. Some of the tiers have exclusive patron-only merch— there's a patron RSS feed that has ad-free episodes, bloopers, behind-the-scenes content, and a second monthly story. Find out more at patreon.com slash 13pod, and we'll put a link in the show notes. A heads up for next month, we have another holiday story for you. Ian already had this story written and in, in the pipeline, and so even though the holidays will be over, we had a submission we just couldn't pass up, and we didn't want to sit on it for a whole year. Speaking of submissions, we are working through them. If you've submitted in the last couple of weeks and haven't heard anything yet, just bear with us. If you'd like to submit a story for the show, you can do so by checking out 13podcast.com to see our submission guidelines. Check out the link on the show notes for more info. We get submissions from a lot of sources, but we especially love getting submissions from our listeners because, well, you know the show. You get the vibe and you know how we sound. If you've been on the fence about sending something in, give it a shot. We're really nice, I promise. And hey, we mean it when we say that we couldn't do this without you. Okay, get comfy, turn down the lights. Ready? On with the show.
1: I've always loved that week between Christmas and New Year's. Everything feels kind of loose. It's easy to forget what day it is. When Brandy and I came inside on Christmas night to find Ollie trying to get into the basement, I knew that he couldn't spend another moment in this house. We spent the next two days at a hotel. Hotels are exciting for little kids. There's a pool, there's a big breakfast, I knew that he'd tell his mom about it, but it could be explained away. After all, what kid doesn't like a pool? After that night, I told Brandy everything that happened in the house. The doors opening, Ollie's imaginary friend who he says lives under the tree. How his imaginary friend keeps telling him to ingest poison. I even told her that I'd reached out to Dr. Willow for help. Randy asked if she could be there when Dr. Willow came. I didn't see why not. The afternoon of the 27th, I drove Ollie all the way back to Louisville. I didn't mind being out of town again. I felt lighter when I was away from the house. At least now, I knew that my son would be safe. I considered going back to the hotel for the night. Randy had offered for me to stay at her place. As much as I wanted to, I just wasn't in a good mental place. I also didn't feel good about the way I'd been lying to her. It wasn't a huge lie, or at least I didn't think so. But it was a lie nonetheless. I told her that I wasn't sure if I was staying around or not. But the truth is, I knew that I wasn't. And I knew why I told her that. Randy's not naive. She probably knows the truth. But... Romantic feelings do strange things to otherwise reasonable people. It lets you believe in magic. I told her that I was exhausted, but we made plans for the following day. She'd come over in the morning and be there to meet Dr. Willow. And we made plans for tomorrow night. next morning, just before noon Randy came over A few minutes later the doorbell rang I opened the door to find a man and a woman on the porch
2: Hi, Abby Willow
1: She was with a man that she introduced as Elijah Hall He reached out his hand for me to shake Call me Eli, he said Dr. Willow spoke up
2: Eli works in the geology department
1: It's nice to meet you Do you mind if I ask why we need a geologist?
2: We don't. We need a ground-penetrating radar unit. Our school has an archaeology program that's run out of the geology department. It means that Eli has access to one.
1: He gave me a little shrug.
2: Don't worry. Eli's curious about these kinds of things in the same way we are. He's also going to be able to tell for certain whether there are graves back there.
1: All of a sudden, I was feeling overwhelmed. And a bit self-conscious i think i'd expected someone to show up and feel around the house for energy or something like that i hadn't expected serious people i showed them around the house and explained what had been happening the doors opening in the middle of the night the footsteps in the snow i started at the beginning my son's imaginary friend that imaginary friend telling him to drink mercury and drink or breathe in all the cleaning supplies. I told her that the house has a history. A man lost control and killed his daughter and himself. And now, my son has an imaginary friend named Bootsy, an imaginary friend that lives under the tree with her father. That feels way too spot on to be a coincidence. She asked where I'd heard the story about the man and his daughter. I looked over to Brandy.
3: I'm actually the one that told him. It's kind of a local legend. I heard about it when I was a kid.
1: Dr. Willow was taking notes as we talked. She'd ask questions about anything strange happening.
2: When you first moved in, was there something out of the ordinary that you didn't notice then, but looking back, it feels a little strange? Any difficulties with the work on the house? Headaches? Feeling faint? Time getting away from you? Strange smells or sensations?
1: I told her nothing really started until Ollie came to stay with me. I asked her if that could somehow have activated Bootsy. Someone here that was her age.
2: It's possible, but I'll be honest with you. Most of the time, it doesn't turn out to be a ghost. It's usually something perfectly explainable.
1: I felt a pang of defensiveness. I think she could see it on my face.
2: That doesn't mean that our clients are any less intelligent or that they're gullible. This is a tough subject. It's why you call an expert to help. But on the occasions that I do think we're dealing with something supernatural, there doesn't seem to be any rhyme or reason to what's causing it or what it wants.
1: Does it seem like we have something going on, or am I just connecting a bunch of random dots that don't mean anything?
2: I don't know yet. I think it's possible that you're wrong, but I don't think you're lying.
1: Well, fair enough.
2: So, would you mind showing us around the house?
1: I gave them a tour of the house and showed them where everything happened. Brandy and I sat in the living room while Dr. Willow and Eli went through the house again on their own. We went out back, and I showed them the gravestones in the backyard, tangled up and crumbling in the tree roots. It wasn't ideal for the ground-penetrating radar they brought with them.
2: Let's see if we can find a better way to figure out what's down there.
1: Dr. Willow and Eli packed up. They were going to the library in City Hall to do some research on the property and the previous owners.
3: I need to get to the store. Are we still on for later?
1: I told her I was, and just like that, I was alone in the house again. I knew that I'd be talking with Brandy later that night, coming clean, but I didn't want to think about that now. So instead of working myself up over that conversation, I got back to work on the house. Later in the day, Dr. Willow gave me a call. She'd found property records for my house, all the way back in 1917. She was able to identify the tailors that the house was named for. She even found birth records for the Taylor children. She asked another question that took me off guard.
2: Has your son learned to read yet?
1: No, he kind of knows his ABCs, but he's not reading.
2: Is there any way he could have read the gravestone or heard someone read it?
1: I don't think so. I can't even read it. Why?
2: Your son's imaginary friend is named Bootsy. The girl that died in the house, the one we think might be under the tree, she would have been about your son's age. Her name was Lucy It's common for kids to mix up their letters. Does he mix up L's and B's? No. So if he heard you say Lucy, or he'd managed to read the gravestone somehow, he wouldn't mix up his letters and call her Bootsy?
1: You don't think he read it. You think he heard it.
2: I think it's possible that your son has made friends with a ghost who says her own name a little funny. Or... Maybe the way they communicate makes some sounds tricky.
1: My head was swimming. This was too fantastical. But a part of me knew that it was true.
2: I don't think it's a good idea for your son to come back here.
1: What do we need to do?
2: I need to learn more about their lives and how they died. The town's historian is also the librarian. I'm meeting her after she gets off work. Once I know more... We'll need to figure out how to put them to rest. Don't do anything until I find out more.
1: They were going to find a hotel for the night, and she'd have another update for me in the morning. I asked if she thought that I should find a place to stay for the night, and she said that if they hadn't tried to hurt me yet, they probably weren't going to but she couldn't make any promises. We ended the call and my head was spinning. Bootsy was Lucy, Lucy Taylor. There are moments in your life when you have two competing impulses. You wanna talk about something, but you also wanna push it from your mind. Everything about this house triggered those impulses. I had to turn a profit. If I didn't, I don't know what would happen next. This is the only kind of work I've ever done. Brandy and I had plans that night, but we need to talk first. It was long overdue. I put on a heavy coat and I walked to her house. It was time to be honest with her. I think that I wanted it to be true when I told her that I was thinking about staying in town. I think I wanted her to be someone that I would stick around for. And in another time, I probably would have. But I'm not as young as I used to be. It's not like it was when I met my ex-wife. Life is more complicated now. And sharing custody this far away is hard. It's hard for me but it's especially hard for him. And, inevitably, Ollie will resent me. Maybe not now, but later. The weekends he'd have to spend away from his friends, the endless driving, and what I imagine to be a growing distance between us. Every parent wants to stop time, to keep their kids simple and uncomplicated, the most precious kind of love. Maybe we don't want to lose who we are in their eyes. Maybe we don't want to watch them learn that we're flawed and sometimes selfish. But I think most of all, most of all, we want more time. Because in the end, time is the only thing we can't get back. And I'm missing a little bit more of it every day that I'm gone. That night, Brandy and I sat on her porch in our coats. I told her everything I'd been thinking on the way over. I picked up a bottle of wine and we took sips straight from the bottle. After I finished talking, we sat in silence for a long time. I don't know what you want to do from here, but I get it if you don't want to keep seeing me.
3: Yeah, no sense in getting attached. (sighs) Even after I went out of my way to ask you out. At my job of all places.
1: Honestly, I wasn't sure why you liked me in the first place.
3: I'm not sure either. I think I just know that I don't like any other men in this town.
1: I wasn't sure how to follow that. Luckily, I didn't have to. Brandy spoke up again.
3: So, what did the professor say? What's going on in that house?
1: I walked home from Brandy's a little tipsy. The moon was out, reflecting the snow and lighting the way. At the end of the street, right before it ended against the ridge line, stood my house, dark and empty. A sense of dread came over me as I approached. I scanned the windows, looking for anything out of place. But I told myself that it was just an old, empty house. A house that I was almost finished with. And I couldn't afford any more hotel rooms. I went to bed that night with that sense of dread that I'd become accustomed to. I laid in bed listening for the sound of opening doors, footsteps. But the alcohol from Brandy's porch helped me fall into a quick and heavy sleep. That night, I dreamed that I was moving through the house. It didn't look like it would when I was finished with it. It was in its original form, at least as my subconscious imagined it. It was lived in and cozy, as though it were only a few years old. All the flourishes of the Victorian era, before a string of owners and landlords, had shaved them away, painted over them, or they were otherwise dulled down by time. The boards on the front porch were sturdy and didn't slump. The stairs creaked, but less. The kitchen light was on, and inside, Ollie was finishing his bedtime snack. And at the table next to him, it was Lindsay, my ex-wife. Ollie coughed, and then he sneezed. I could tell from the look of him that he was running a fever just like he had when he caught a cold the first time that he came to stay with me. As if on cue, Ollie finished his snack, gave me and his mom hugs and kisses before running upstairs to bed. We tucked him in and watched him drift away to sleep, knowing that he'd feel better in the morning. In my dream, Ollie is the same age that he is now, but Lindsay and I are young. Like we were when we first met. I had a little bit more hair and a little bit less of a stomach. Lindsay still looked at me the way that she used to, something I didn't know that I missed until just then. The next thing I know, we're out front, sitting on a porch swing, swaying back and forth. There's a crisp little wind and it feels good on my face. In the distance, We look at two big masts rising up out of the Ohio River. The bridge is under construction. Lindsay smiles like it's an inside joke between the two of us, that we shouldn't be here. The night is getting colder. I can feel it all over my body, but especially my face. But I wanted to stay in this moment a little bit longer. I thought that I was over Lindsay, Between the short fling with Brandy and throwing myself into the work on this house, it had let me overlook the fact that I still missed my wife. And I missed the life that we had. The cold was really settling in. I was shivering. Just then, Lindsay put her head on my shoulder and scooched in close to me. And I heard a little voice. But I didn't know where it was coming from. Daddy, can I sleep with you?" It sounded like Ollie. Lindsay pressed her body harder against mine. I was just starting to become conscious of the fact that I was dreaming. My awareness was split between the real world and the dream world. In the real world, I was asleep in my bed. In my dream, I was on the porch with my ex-wife. But I was cold in the real world, just like I was in the dream. I heard that voice again. I don't feel well, daddy. The sound of the voice ripped me out of the dream. It sounded like Ollie, but it wasn't him. As I opened my eyes, I saw a bulge in the comforter next to me, a shape that looked like a person. It looked like how Ollie would curl up with me if he were lying under the covers. But Ollie was home with his mom. I shot up out of bed, backing out of the door and into the hallway. My heart was pounding and my entire body was pumping adrenaline. Nothing happened. It took a moment for me to gather the courage to move. As I crept back toward the bedroom door, I felt like my heart might explode. I peeked my head inside. There was nothing there. My arms and legs went limp. I was still trying to catch my breath. My heart was slowing, but only a little. Only now, as I stood bent over in the upstairs hallway, did I notice the sound from downstairs. The sound of the elements outside wind, and the traffic from the bridge. The subtle difference in the light at the bottom of the stairs. I knew even before I went down. The doors were standing wide open. I went back to the hotel to stay the night. I wanted to call Dr. Willow right after it happened, but it was two in the morning, In the hotel, I slept hard. Harder than I'd slept in a long time. I hadn't realized what the anxiety over the house had been doing to me. I awoke at 10 a.m. to a call from Dr. Willow, asking where I was. She'd been trying to reach me for an hour. I told her that I was on my way. When I arrived, they were waiting in front of the house. I explained what happened the night before. The dream, the shape under the covers, in bed with me. The doors wide open again. Dr. Willow and Eli gave each other a look.
2: Let's go inside and talk.
1: Are you sure it's safe? I'm sure. The night before, Dr. Willow had met with the town's head librarian and historian, a retiree who volunteered her time and spent years learning everything she could about her town. Brandy, and the rest of town for that matter, they'd been half right about what happened in this house. Dr. Willow learned that there was, in fact, a family here named the Taylors, and Mrs. Taylor had left Mr. Taylor, and she'd taken all but one of their children but there was a reason that she left. In 1921, there was a tuberculosis outbreak in Maysville. Mrs. Taylor and the other children hadn't left because Mr. Taylor had become crazed and violent. They left because he and Lucy had gotten sick. I could feel my heart sink. I was already putting some of the pieces together.
2: Lucy went first. He dug her a grave in the backyard because no one wanted to touch the bodies or come near the infected. No one would transport them to the cemetery. He dug two graves, one for her and one for him. In his condition, it must have taken days to dig them. He would have become exhausted and out of breath. It may have been what caused him to go so quickly after her.
1: I thought about what I'd heard the night before. A little voice crawling in bed with me, telling me she didn't feel well. I asked the only question I could think of. Why were they trying to hurt my son? Why did Bootsy, Lucy, why did she try to get him to drink mercury and cleaning supplies? Are they vengeful to see me and my son alive and happy?
2: You mentioned that the two of you caught a cold around the time you noticed the strange activity in the house. I nodded. A hundred years ago doesn't seem all that long, but it was a completely different world. There was no medicine like we understand it today. People tried anything, especially when things got really desperate. Sometimes they ingested mercury. They drank turpentine. Maybe they're vengeful and angry and out to hurt you, but... Maybe they thought your son had tuberculosis. Maybe they were trying to help.
1: Dr. Willow and Eli put together the ground-penetrating radar, and they went out to the end of the yard. And on a cold December morning, a century later, there they were, just where we thought they'd be. Underneath the crumbling gravestones, twisted up in the tree roots. Their bodies, once buried in side by side graves, they'd shifted and been pushed together by the changing earth and the slow, persistent pressure of the roots. They were pressed together into a hug. Back inside, Dr. Willow and Eli were debating how to put them to rest.
2: You know, I just study this stuff. I've never had a case where I thought someone was really in danger.
1: Apparently, there's no real consensus about how to get rid of a ghost. Sometimes they go away on their own. Sometimes you have to keep trying things until something works. Mark the graves, unmark the graves. Move the remains to a cemetery, destroy the remains altogether. There didn't seem to be any rhyme or reason to it. I listened to them while I thought about Ollie.
2: Maybe when the tree started breaking apart the gravestones or moving their bones it caused them to come back? Maybe they've been here the whole time and it was a sick child in the house that got their attention. Compelled them to make themselves known?
1: I thought about what she said. Maybe they'd been here the whole time. My mind was all over the place, but things seemed to be coming together nonetheless. The cabinet doors. I'd checked them so many times, but they kept coming open, and I'd missed it the first time she asked. But there was a smell. The smell of sulfur. Like a spent heating coil in a water heater. Except it happened all over the house. In the other room, I could hear them arguing about what to do next, how to put their spirits to rest. Maybe it's because it's been on my mind lately, but I couldn't help but think of that wish that every parent makes at some point. A wish that time would stop, that you could keep them like this forever, sweet and innocent, and share that perfect, uncomplicated kind of love. I don't know anything about the supernatural. But I know about being a dad. So, I spoke up. Is there a reason that we have to put them at peace? Do we have to get rid of them? It was one thing when we thought it was some maniac who killed his daughter, but... I mean, they didn't get enough time. But now they've got all the time in the world. Dr. Willow wasn't sure what would cause their spirits to move on. She wasn't sure if humans even had the ability to do that. But one thing that everyone agreed on, maybe it was a hunch, maybe it was all the stories and movies we've seen over the years. But we agreed that any change to their gravesite could cause them to move on. Putting up new markers with their names, or removing the old ones. We couldn't risk it i wouldn't risk it but i made a few choices of my own first ollie wouldn't be coming back to visit me here it doesn't matter if lucy and her dad thought they were helping it wasn't safe for him second i wasn't going to sell the house to anyone with kids even if that made it harder to recoup my money and finally I was going to fix that fence that the roots were slowly destroying. I dipped into my savings, and I pushed that entire fence back a few extra feet, past the property line, but I don't think anyone was going to notice. It hits the foot of a ravine after all, there's no one behind me to contest it. It wasn't a permanent solution, but it would last a little while. We don't get to keep anything forever. Eventually, we lose it all. The ghosts of the father and daughter under my backyard are no exception. Someday, the tree will come down. Someday, the river will come up out of its banks, and rock slides will bring down these hills. I can't keep them safe forever, but I can try.
0: Thank you for joining us for this episode of Thirteen. If you like what you heard, stop what you're doing and leave a five-star rating and review wherever you listen to podcasts. This was part three and the conclusion of Tangled in the Roots, written and narrated by Ian Epperson. Brandy is Bridget Howard. Dr. Willow is Emma Sherjarko. Music, editing, and sound design by Kayla Britchie. Our producer-level patrons are Rick Linville, Tattooed Fox, Rhiannon, Sean Geary, Anthony Diaz, Michael Vasquez, Paul Doyle, Amy Harper, Delta Tango, Jackie Kay, Taylor Crabb, Chantelle Payne, Nick, and Emily Douglas. Thank you all so much for your support. There are a ton of options to support the show over on Patreon. From the producer level, which is the all-access tier, to the $1 ad-free main episode tier, there's an option for everyone. And all patrons $5 and above get a second monthly story. Click the link in the show notes to learn more. Check us out on social media. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok under Pod13. And you can join the Facebook group for 13 podcasts. Just look for our logo. There are links to all of our social media in the show notes. Bridget Howard is your mysterious town librarian. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next year.